Welcome to the Locala Podcast. This is episode 32. When I'm feeling like that, it's it's actually hard for me to engage in music sometimes right. be, because I, I, I feel like um, I'm not participating with it in a way that I should be. I'm not doing enough or I'm not good enough or, you know I mean? Just that whole depressive sort of cloud messes up that music for me. Today's podcast is brought to you by Kismet Creative Co. It's marketing that feels as good as morning coffee. Visit them at www.kismetcreativeco.com to learn more. Hi, welcome to the Low Cabla Podcast. I'm Chad Taylor, your host for this episode. Uh, today on the couch, we have maestro Matthew Wardell, CEO and artistic director of uh, the Ocala Symphony of the Riley Arts Center and conductor of the Ocala Symphony perfect, Orchestra. Perfect, perfect. Uh, but before we get to him, if you enjoy the content, please be sure to hit that like button and subscribe. So, Matt. Oh, Chad. We're going to throw a couple easy questions at you. All right. Um, <laughs> well, first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about when you say CEO, artistic director of the Riley Arts Center, what what is that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I'm still figuring that out. Eight, eight, <laughs> Every eight years, eight years in. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you, you know, I was the conductor of the orchestra. That, right. That's why I'm here in Ocala. And, um, and then we used to play kind of, we were sort of nomadic and played at different places and mm-hmm. needed a home. So um, when the opportunity came to possibly build the Riley Arts Center uh, in the old city auditorium, we took that and then um, it just kind of made sense since we were kind of managing it that I would sort of assume some of those management responsibilities. Right. I didn't know then what that what you've gone through and you know very well that right. running a theater is is uh, people forget it's a business. It's it's a business. At the end of the day, hundred <laughs> percent. And so so now my role, um, you know, apart from the symphony, is is really just managing a team of really, really great people. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm there. I'll you know make some decisions, but, but really I'm just making sure that everything's kind of moving. Um, how many staff do you have now? So between the Riley and in the Marion now, um, we're probably about 34, 35 people. And that's, you know, those are bartenders. Those are concessionists. Right. Those are, uh, everyone else. Well, that's a bit there. of growth from whenever you first started. What, how many years ago did you take Four, over? 14 years ago at the symphony. And we had, uh, me and a, and a halftime, uh, Executive director. So. Okay, and then whenever you took over the Riley, that was what year? It was two, uh, 2015. Okay, 2015. so 2015. So I remember whenever you first got in there, yeah. it was uh, yourself, Pam, and Evan. Evan was there. Evan, yeah. and, and you I were there. Would, I would randomly come yeah. in and get put to work. We didn't pay you, but you, no, you worked but there. I, I you was technically an employee. I was just a sucker who loved the cause. It was awesome. Um, was awesome. <laughs> and more people like Chad. <laughs> yeah, more people willing to yeah. be unpaid. Um so it that's a heck heck of a growth in it's, just a couple of years. It's, and it it's, seems like you're adding new people all the time. Yeah, and and you know some of that where you know if people come and go as people do, and some of that's filling in. But a lot of times it's just where we get to the point. Um, you know, when we first started, we thought we would do 25 shows a year, including the 15 or so the symphony did. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think uh, you know in 2019 we're back up to this level now but in 2019 2020 before the pandemic i think we're doing like 140 shows a year or something like that so it's just time and then people get burnt out i mean we got burnt out i mean pam and i i remember literally the night before opening night we're putting together ikea furniture at like three in the morning um and stuff like that so it's it's good to spread that love a little bit out to, to our staff and and 
and you know, as it's grown, I just I think we find opportunities to bring people in. And it's required um, because you have more venues now than yeah. you did whenever you first started. That's Before right. it was just the main stage, and now right. you have the Nolan Black Box, and you have the Marion Theater that you're in charge of as well. Yeah, and you just keep growing whether you want to or not. <laughs> we don't. We don't want to anymore. We're good. we're very happy. You're good. We're very happy with where we are. So okay. Um, so let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to uh, Child Matt. Okay. Is there a tissue box? Right. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. No, we cry into the shoulder if you need to. Okay. Right. Um, so at what point in, in your mind mm-hmm. did the path diverge that led you to where you are today? Like where was the where answer, was yeah. the path that you're like, oh, okay, well, I can look back and go, this is where Matt Wardell's life took a turn from, you know, a normal everyday life to becoming, you know, a not just – a CEO, artistic director, and a conductor, mm-hmm. but also a professor. Sure. And the 20,000 other things that you do. Yeah. Well, it's, it's all, it's definitely all driven by music. And, and, you know, like most kids in America, I, I joined, you know, the, the middle school band or whatever, right. you know, the sixth grade. Um, I wasn't a child prodigy or anything like, like that. Um, but, um, I, I had some great experiences and, and, and when I specifically when I moved to Florida in seventh grade, um, had a great middle school band director, junior high band director, Jim Layton, um, who I'm still friends with every once in a while on Facebook. I see him, which is cool. But um, but I, I just really liked music. And I remember um, when a lot of kids were skateboarding and stuff, which I was just really bad at, uh, I would be in my room like just looking at music or reading about music or, or wanting to do... What did you play? I was a percussionist. I was percussionist? a percussionist. Which, so, okay. so nothing really. I just right. banged on things. And uh, But no, it was... It, and I really... I loved it, man. I loved... I actually loved the... I thought I wanted to be a middle school band director for the longest time. Mainly because I had such an uh, affinity for my, my band director. But um, it was like that. So I did that for a while. Um, after high school, I, I had never played in an orchestra yet until mm-hmm. after high school. Um, I went to a, a music festival that summer and uh played an orchestra for the first time and and basically felt like oh man i didn't know and i remember we played a barely a symphony fantastique and i know i've talked to you about it but mm-hmm. it, it's literally about a guy who's like in love and it's unrequited love and so then he decides to take opium to like or to, i don't know if it's as off one himself does. as one does in, yeah. in in 19th century paris um, and and then has these wild trip dream that he accidentally murdered his beloved, and then he's getting marched to the scaffold, and then he wakes up literally in hell, and his and his beloved is the one the, the witch leading the the witches all in this big. Da- it's crazy, right. and I remember thinking, oh, that's a little different than what I thought about Beethoven or Mozart. <laughs> like that dude seems like a real dude, like they're real right. people, you know. And and I and at that time, you know, like when you're seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, you had a weird stuff or whatever you just that's the time when you start thinking about life and i remember um playing that symphony i played the like the the a really a part that was for the, the worst person in the section that was me so i just played this this chime and i just remember being feeling like i was a part of a whole finally like i'd been right. kind of misplaced and then we're playing this great music and i was just doing these one little these little notes and it just felt like it made everything gel and i was like this is awesome this is what i want to do so anyways so that sort of started the orchestra okay. path well what uh from from then you you played percussion in the beginning. I did, yeah. Did you add more instruments as you went on? No, I, I always played a I, I 
tinkered at the piano a little bit. I had I, I took some piano lessons when I was in seventh, eighth grade. Um, I remember uh, my piano teacher was so frustrated with me uh, because I never pra- I wouldn't practice like what he wanted me to practice. Mm-hmm. So one day he was like, "Well, what kind of music do you like?" And I had just seen like Yanni on PBS, which I know you're not supposed to talk about Yanni these days. He's been he's done some things, but I remember I was like, "Oh, Yanni!" And my piano teacher was like, "Oh my god!" Like I just I saw like head and hands. But then he told me something that I've never forgotten. He said, "You can learn." something from even from the worst teacher you can learn something he wasn't talking about something just, you know yanni wasn't beethoven or mozart or something to him but he was like well what do you like about him i was like well i like this about his music you know and then mm-hmm. and then so that was a cool thing that i've always taken like even from someone who you think God, this person's not doing a good job you can learn you can learn right. from that and and um so i remember that and uh so i played a little piano to answer your question and that was about it i i never um played anything else other than percussion you know marimbas uh, drum set all the all the percussion mm-hmm. um and then a little bit of piano uh i can play a couple of chords on the guitar and that's about it you know um i can play edelweiss on the clarinet i learned that somehow which honestly i think is a little inspiring for people that that love music in general and the theory of it and worry that because they don't play every single instrument that they can't know about the instruments and can't you know help guide people along where they need to go yeah. with things. It's the same thing with a great I mean honestly I think with like a great coach or a great uh, mentor or, or a CEO or a consultant that I, I you don't necessarily need to know which keys do you push down to make an F sharp Right. but if I can describe the sound we're looking for if I can listen like really listening is what I think good conductors do really well as they listen and then describe what I'm hearing and describe maybe how I think it could be a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what's great about, you know, I remember when I got interviewed for the Ocala Symphony job, uh, I was 26 then. And the board, it was down to two or three people. And I know I was much younger than than the folks I was going up against. And one of the questions the the board asked me at the interview was, how are you going to tell a music, are are the musicians going to respect you? Like you're so much younger than them. And, and I remember telling him, I said, man, I, I, I'll never, I recognize now that I'll never know as much about the trombone as Art Jennings, my, as someone who's in the orchestra and he's since passed away, but I'll never know as much about as he does about the trombone. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to tell him how to play the trombone. Right. But what I do know about is this piece and I know where the trombone fits into this work. And, and so as long as you have that sort of mutual respect um, for the people you're working with, I don't think you need to be, you know, a subject matter expert on every detail of what you're what you're looking right. at you know so and if that doesn't work and you need respect and then you bring out your conductor staff which is actually yeah with the baseball bat exactly and you just yeah. tap that on the stand and then instantly <laughs> instantly things get better you know uh, going into that when did you major in music in college so i um i had a i had a uh this is in tennessee so uh, i had a full scholarship to go to the university of memphis in music and in academics, and I don't know how that happened. I screwed around way too much in high school. I somehow took the ACT, and I must have just like bubbled in like the wrong, like the right things by accident. So I got a really good score, and they uh, they gave me this double scholarship. I went to one day of of uh, music camp over the summer, and I said uh, I don't want to do this, and I literally left, and I didn't tell anyone. I feel bad about it to this day. I mean, they found out obviously because I didn't show up. So that's when I moved. I moved back to Florida from Tennessee at that time, and um, played in a band for a year and a half, and then eventually, um, I, I I was kind of tired of the the four a.m. smelling like smoke, getting home, you know, and the whole situation. Um, so I just I just emailed UF, and I was like, hey, I want to come to school, you know, and so I started, and I, and I did do music. Um, yeah, I started with music there. Okay. Yeah. And and through you, you went from being a student. Yeah. 
to being a teacher, correct? Eventually, I was a yeah, grad assistant there. So I, I worked, um, this was a, a little bit later, but I did my master's there. And um, I got a great opportunity to work with their orchestra. And I taught their community music school and some other stuff. So it was a really good opportunity. Okay. What was the other college that you, were, that you taught at as well? I just got done teaching at, at uh, Georgia Tech uh, yep. this, this last semester, um, which was a great experience and, and a and totally different school because it's it's a, they've got music classes and a great program, but there's no music majors, right? So they're all engineers and other other things that want to possibly do you know want to keep music in their lives. So it was a totally different vibe uh, from my perspective. It was really cool. Now, whenever you're uh, let's look at this. So you have people that just love music and they want to learn more. Do you find more fulfillment in that from a from a just teaching perspective, not just you know, we, oh, I just like people better that do that, or is it? I know it's got to be completely different, you know, when you're teaching sure. things because maybe they don't understand all the theory that somebody that's you know going to school majoring in music right. is going to understand on there. Yeah, um, are you? Do you get more fulfillment out of being able to? Meet people on that level that may not understand everything that that a full time student would. It's it's definitely something that that I I remember the first week I was in Atlanta I I emailed uh, one of my friends and who's a professor at, at UF and I said I've had to kind of rethink like what's my role like what why am I here I'm always a what am I doing mainly because I'm lazy like why am I here no, literally like what no. but no why am I here what's my purpose like um, and it's different it was different with that group of students like like you said than like you know with Music students who are in school to be music teachers or professional musicians. My goal is to help them become better musicians, right? right. And and to better teachers or better whatever they're doing. Um, when it was students that were there, maybe for a different reason, I still want them to be better musicians, you know. So I'm still going to teach them things, but I just kind of realized um, I want to support them for whatever they're doing. That's why I love teaching. I mean, I in the music world, I love teaching musicians because I love kind of connecting students with. First of all, what are you passionate about? I mean, it's the same reasons I, I know you love like leading cast and, and those kind of things. What are you passionate about? Okay, we've got that isolated. Well, what what kind of work do I think it's going to take for you to do that really, really well? Yeah. And then the last part is like, what? How can you doing that really well impact the world around you? Like, how how what kind of good can you go do now that you're doing what you love to do and you're doing it really well? Now, how can you make a, a real dent on things? And um, so. That's how I usually feel about music students. And with this group, I still felt a lot of those things. What are you guys passionate about? It might not have been orchestra music. It might have been engineering or, or uh, solar panels. Or, I mean, I don't know, whatever mm-hmm. they do. Um, and and But still, like if music was something that was helping them do those things better, I wanted to be there to support that. Well, what good can someone do? Like if, say somebody plays the oboe, like what good can they do? Man, anymore? there's so many things you can do. And and it, and it you know, music is this, this, this uh, great art that we can do together and it really is something that should be done together with other people so um you know i've seen i just we just i just interviewed someone a few weeks ago who's on our uh, young artist concert uh, that i've been doing in a couple of weeks and uh, his name is jay julio and he's in new york and he was just telling me all the things that he was doing as a young person like in the the neighborhood where he was staying getting mm-hmm. other kids to play music um all those kinds of things you can i mean i think about ocala and um such a great community and and it is super supportive of the arts, but sometimes was felt, and you 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 know this. Sometimes it took a little bit to crack in or figure out where do I go. Um, so here here we are, just musicians, and 
wanting to do orchestra stuff, and we ended up finding a way to to do the Riley, and, and of course that sort of helped transform Tuscola Park. And then more investments come that, that aren't really us, but are related maybe to what we were doing. Um, and then that gave opportunities for for us to work together. It gave opportunities right. for the symphony to grow. Now we've got the school, um, which most of the kids or half the kids that go to the school are all supported by scholarships. It's just all these kind of cool things that happen just because I was a kid at eighteen that was impressed with this drug doing <laughs> composer, you know, and, and thinking, wow, that's, that's really cool that we, you know, we share these same emotions. And so anyways, um, so I think there's a lot you can do. And I, I've seen, I mean, that's why I got involved in city council and everything was mainly just because I saw like, wow, if we just kind of like, Hey, um, you know, speak right. up a little bit and like to try this or do this and, and then just be a little bit, a little bit tenacious about it. You know, you can do a lot. So, so in, in terms of things that we've done together, um, You've been music director for a couple of the music musicals that we did over at the Riley. Um, the ones you would allow me to, to do with you. Hey, man, anytime. Because, <laughs> you know, being a conductor and being a music director is not just about the instruments, but it's also about, let's say, you have singers who, you know, their voice is their instrument. Right. How do you go? Is that different for you in how you look at things, or is it just the voice is the instrument? I'm going to treat it like an instrument and I'm going to go from there. It's It's definitely. It's definitely different, you know. A voice is different. I, I was I was actually talking to someone yesterday about it was a trumpet player. It was something about some like nerve damage that he had had from playing wrong, and mm-hmm. and you know as a conductor we can go at a concert and we're conducting. Hey, all right, trumpets, and then they they blip a note and you go, God, what the heck's wrong? And you re- and then you you learn a backstory and you go, mm-hmm. well, actually this guy's buzzing a, a thing on his mouth a million times per second and right. pushing all this air. It's a it's a body. It's a human body that's making these sounds. And and with vocalists. It's the same thing, right? So, I mean, I'm feeling a little <clears throat> today, a little. So, if I have yeah. had to sing, well, I'd be in trouble, you know, right. right? So, there's some compassion there that I think we all have to have. And then everyone's still just people, right? So, mm-hmm. I, whether I'm working with singers or instrumentalists, like, did you have a good day? Like, that's going to affect, you know, maybe the, the way you're playing and what's going on. And so, I, I always try to work with everyone with that sort of a little bit of compassion. It doesn't mean we don't get frustrated sometimes and stuff right. like that, but you always leave room for, for that. At Kismet Creative Co., we do one simple thing very well. We listen. We listen to your goals and needs for your business and then intuitively create strategies that achieve those goals while also addressing any blind spots or untapped markets. Kismet started because we believe all people deserve access to good quality marketing regardless of their budget. As you grow your business, we grow with you. It's Kismet. Now, you have a concert coming up in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say the week of the concert. Right. Okay. Okay. Take me real quick, day by day, of all the different duties that you have as conductor and CEO and all that. What does your week look like from, you know, the uh, Sunday before opening leading to, you know, the Friday of opening night? Sure. So I... The normal things that I might do at the Riley, like you know, booking new acts for the the coming uh, months or whatever, a lot of those I'll put on pause just because I want to focus on the orchestra for that week or, or right. whatever's coming up. Um, the good thing is a lot of the a lot of the important work has been done a month or two in advance, or, or sometimes even more a year in advance. Like Margaret, who's uh, currently our, our personnel manager, I know you guys know. Um, you know, she would have contracted all the musicians by that point, so mm-hmm. I'm not worried necessarily about okay do we have enough cellists every once in a while you get people that drop out so i might help fill a a seat you know someone's missing um but you're kind of working on that my main focus in that first part monday through you know wednesday monday through thursday is really just making sure that i know what i'm doing with the music um which is 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 really important it's it's uh you know my my mentor raymond um 
you know, told me a long time ago that your authority as a conductor on the, is not because of the baton, right? It's not just because right. you're the maestro or whatever. It's it's because hopefully you've done your homework, you've worked really hard. You, it's knowledge that, and then that's where you get that mu- respect to the musicians, you know. Right. So, I'll spend that first few days um, probably procrastinating. Uh, finding things to do other than that's when I clean my house. That's when I do right. all those, even though I know I need to be studying. And so then eventually I'll get into the scores and which I had already probably studied a month or two before or longer, but that week's really important that I'm really just diving in. Um, then we get to rehearsal our first rehearsal. So we open usually Saturday nights and mm-hmm. then we have a second concert Sunday afternoon. So our first rehearsal will be Friday afternoon at two. It's the first time we'll see the musicians. Right. It's the first time that we'll all see each other. They'll see each other. Um, so we have a, like a two and a half hour rehearsal. Then we have another one that evening we have one Saturday morning. And at that point I'm just focusing on that stuff. So the first rehearsal is really does, okay, what's going to happen? Cause you don't know, you kind of can anticipate this piece is going to go well. This one's not, I'm sure it's the same for you. If you're blocking a scene, you're like, oh, this one will be easy to block. And then, oh, it's just pure chaos. Yeah. Four weeks later, you're like, ah, that's not working. You know, and right. the, so that happens. <laughs> well, you can at least see. Uh, where the musicians are at and if they've looked at the music yeah. before walking in the door as well. And, and that's the key is, is sometimes, and there's there's a, a, a word we call idiomatic, which I, that's a word everyone uses, but in music, it's like, is this music written idiomatically for the instrument? So is it just a bunch of notes or does it go like really easily on the instrument? Does it lay uh-huh. easily? And so sometimes I it's hard to know that until you get it in the hands of musicians. Like, right. Cause something might look really easy oh, on the piano just goes like this, but on the oboe, it's like, you know, some crazy thing. And, um, so that's the kind of stuff we're looking for on Friday. And then Saturday, Friday, by Friday night, the end of Friday night, I'm finally calm again. I'm usually all week, a little ner- not, not nervous, just like, Oh man, hope this goes why. Well. And, right. and then I usually, what's cool is, you know, that Friday and leading up to it, you really start to fall in love with the music. At least, at least I do, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to do that piece or you wanted to direct that play but when you get right in it and you're approaching opening, that's when you go, man, this is great. This, is, or you want to pull your hair out one or, one or the other, but, right. but that's when I really start to fall in love. So that's really all I'm focused on most of that week. Um, luckily, you know, stat, the selling of tickets and all those things, you know, Pam and Savannah and Casey and, uh, you know, that's all kind of being handled and we've got a great audience here in Ocala. So I'm not usually worried too much about that. Do you have a specific musical memory? Okay. Cause I know for me in the theater world, you know, the thing that we're surrounded by, mm-hmm. you know, most of all, we kind of attach memories, sure. you know, to specific moments of things that we've done in the yeah. past. Okay. Um, what are what are kind of three of your your most powerful musical memories on there where you can kind of tie a moment in time to a piece of music? Yeah, on there. I, I think the first one would would be that Berlioz I talked about earlier, just because it was the first time that I connected like the way we feel mm-hmm. like now, like I mean the we that's in us, whatever this is, with the way other people feel that you know what i mean that we are kind of all the same we are all in the same and and i'll never forget that that symphony that that week of us working on that piece and then the performances it all really coming together to like i finally felt because i've always felt but on saint patrick's day i've always been the kid that didn't wear green or forgot to bring my pencil or left my did my homework for once and then left it at home like so i've never felt like fitting in i remember that that experience i finally felt like this is I belong somewhere here. Um, so that was really uh, fun. I remember the first time we did we did Beethoven 9 with the Ocala Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a neat experience. It was the first time I conducted. Beethoven 9 is one of those pieces that, as a classical musician, is kind of up on a, a pedestal a little bit. Right. Um, 
And and I remember once we performed that, I remember leaving the the we were actually I think at Queen of Peace at that time, and I remember leaving mm-hmm. the not the stage but the altar area and going right. to the back and and just being like, man, I was just really an emotional kind of moment that it was it was finished and it was it felt really good and fun. Um, and then I have so many, uh, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, but the the things that we've done together, the the theater works that we've done together, I love working on the stage. I just, right. I, I love it. It's, 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 uh, it's a more of that connection between people and especially when there's words involved and, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and in, in all the things we've done, whether it's, uh, I mean anything, but I think of Sweeney Todd a lot. And I, I think about yeah. even Avenue Q where I wasn't necessarily a conductor conductor, but, but yeah, I, you were in the booth getting all the sound, sound cues wrong. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Doing the best I could to make right. your job hard, you know? Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah, that was awesome. But I just, I love those shows and I love seeing people falling in love with, with what they do. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday, and again, it's not super specific, but one of my favorite things is when the concert's over, I love hearing people just talk. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want them to know I'm there, but I just love them going like, oh, did you hear that one piece? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I thought that flute was going to catch on fire. Blah, blah. I mean, they, they say wild things, and I just love the energy and the chatter because I know that you've given something away. That, right. Well, that's why I always, after a show, go out to that front bench yep, yep. out there, and I just listen to people, what they yeah. thought about the show out yeah. there. And nine times out of ten, you know, I, I, I was always in the background. I wasn't the conductor on the stage the sure. time. But I'm sure you might do this whenever you're not conducting. Oh, yeah. A show is you'll just kind of try and fade into the background a little bit, just so you hear people's real thoughts. And and the thing I like um, about theater is people feel like they can react. You know, whereas symphony people, you know, there there is a certain holiness, sure, you know, yeah. to a live concert, unless yeah. you're specifically trying to be, you know, silly Unholy. with something. Yeah. Um, but people, I don't think, you know, really feel like they can, you know, audibly react right. know, during a piece of music or something. Whereas theater, they just go nuts. All the time. You know, yeah. Especially if you encourage them to do so. Yeah. Um, are there any pieces where you felt like you got a bigger reaction than you were expecting, like during the actual playing of it? Or are you just so focused on that piece of music that you don't really know what's going on at the time? Yeah. I, you know what I think? I, what I really love, especially about our, our the audience that we've sort of built here in Ocala, is... Um, they know us really well. They know mm-hmm. me. They know I'm not uh, a monocle and top hat. We have type. Coffee, you have coffee with the conductor, yeah. and you have talkbacks, but before shows. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they they they're familiar with us. We feel we don't mm-hmm. feel you know that divide that you feel when you go to some orchestras where oh, that's the musicians and the conductor who doesn't even talk. You know, he just comes out and right. looks at you, and then turns around <laughs> or she kind of just goes away when it's over or whatever. Um, we're not quite like that. So I'm I'm always. There's there's times when um, actually the, we did a film music concert the the other week uh, two or three weeks ago and the, we did music from the Bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and there's some some parts of it that have like the zzz, the electric sounds from the and and I, I could hear the audience like reacting and laughing and I mean enjoying that you know and and um, also when we've done one of my favorite little recordings we did some music for uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame the uh, Lon Chaney mm-hmm. uh, 1920. 
uh, three maybe. Anyways, um, nineteen. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it again. I don't know, twenty three. But uh, yeah, but I have a recording of that, and there's this one part where we're playing, and I can hear specifically two people that I know laugh, like because it was a cute part where these like rats come out mm-hmm. and stuff. And I, I, I remember my friend Alan, <laughs> like this funny <laughs> laugh that I'm like, I know that's Alan. Like, yeah. like and and it's just a kind of a cool uh, thought, you know, when you hear those reactions and stuff. We don't get it off, and there's sometimes where you. The, the the wrong reaction. I mean, so, I mean, the, or the rea- not the wrong. Wrong is a bad word in this context, but the reaction you didn't expect, right? You know, right. so you you might end something and God, it was about death, and you're just like you know how you take these things on as because mm-hmm. conductors are, are a lot like actors that you become. You try to become that thing, and you know you're done, and you're like, oh man, and then someone's like, oh that was so beautiful, gosh, and I'm like, all right, I'm I'm dead. Just hang on, give me a second, you know, mm-hmm. like you know, but but. Um, but that's that's what I love about music is we all can hear same thing with with, with theater works and, and and visual art we can hear and see kind of from our own perspective. Right. I, I always tell this story that, that in in DC in the uh, the portrait gallery, one of the Smithsonian museums. There's uh, at the end of a hallway. There's this uh, what was it's a, a copy of it, but they had made this uh, a man had made this sarcophagus uh, statue to go with his wife's his wife's uh, uh, tomb, and uh, it's this dark, uh, black, sort of shrouded figure that you can't quite see his or her face. You don't really know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But I remember the first time I went to DC about 15 years ago. I saw that, and I was really taken aback by it. And it's kind of it's not it's off the beaten path a little bit as you're going through there. You know, you're going through there to find the George Washington picture and some of the folk right. art and stuff. So it's kind of down a hallway, and you see it. And I remember I felt a certain way about it. And I've gone to DC four or five times since then, and I always go back there and I see that same piece. I I, I seek it out now. Every time I've seen it, I felt differently about it. Right. Every time I've seen it, I felt like it was saying something different. And you start to realize like it's not. It's it's a piece of marble. It's not changing. Right. You're changing. You're changing in the way you feel. And I think music is like that, and great art is like that, and that we ourselves, you know, gets applied to whatever that piece is. You know, I think it's a good way of putting it. Just say, you know, it's the purpose of art, and want to make people feel a certain way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's art, art. It's, a, it's almost a tool too to right. to process whatever you're feeling in those times. So, um, yeah. now you you have uh, composed music as well, mm-hmm. and you did Nosferatu, correct? Uh, no, I did the the Hunchback, Hunchback. And then, but we've done. Uh, my a friend of mine named Peter Vessenauer did did Nosferatu. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And now of of the pieces that you've composed, and I'm sure there's several. Uh, other than the film series that you did, are there any that you put out there, not really telling people that you composed it, and just kind of put it out there to see what people's reaction would be? No. Or is it you kind of have to go? Okay, well, I did this, and I, you know, yeah. I you know I don't write near as much as I when I when I first started going to UF for for music I thought maybe I wanted to be a composer I really because mm-hmm. I dabbled in that for for a while um, and the problem for me was like you heard I heard so much great music by other people and I was like well mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't do that you know I mean you just get this feeling of like but what I'd like to do is help interpret that you know um, but no I, I but now it's funny is now that I'm sort of just to feel a little more stable for at least for a second. Um, I've been thinking about composing more and, and doing those things, but I've, I've, when I had written stuff before, I'd always be like, Hey, look what I wrote. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. You know, there was no, there was no hiding it. It was all like, check this out. You know? So. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's, it's <clears throat> whenever you're composing, let's say you're composing an original piece, mm-hmm. not based on, you know, another piece of artwork or sure. film or anything like that. Sure. <sighs> 
where is it something where you want to find you want to connect an emotion to it a memory is it a story that you're trying to tell like where where's the inspiration where's the baseline for the things that you're trying to put on paper yeah that's a that's a good question i think it it, it depends um i've always been really moved by programmatic music so music that that tells a story or mm-hmm. that, that it has some sort of uh external context um but sometimes you just write, you know, my, my favorite thing to do when I'm not feeling great, you know, and you, you we've talked about this before, I, I you know, deal with depression and anxiety and some things, and uh, is to go sit in front of the piano and just just play. And that's right. not for anyone, right? That's that's just me, and it's not a symphony, it's not some grand, but it's something, mm-hmm. um, that's when I'm, you're just playing. And sometimes you don't even know, I don't even know what's going to come out or what where I'm going to go, but... But that's sort of pure emotion or, or pure trying to to speak through whatever you're you're doing, you're writing or, or playing. Um, but when I when I would write for a performance or something like that, you know, then I usually have something in mind, a story I want to tell, or uh, a feeling or a place. You know, I get inspired. My friend Evan, you know, Evan Castle yeah. wrote a great piece uh, about the Salzkammergut region that that we just happened to be on a school trip together there and. And and when I hear that piece, it 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 brings exactly that place right. back to me, you know that that kind of stuff. So usually that's that's the direction. I'm... Since you brought it up, and if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. um, I, I remember a long time ago I had a friend whose uh, mom was a psychologist, and and uh, she goes, "Oh, this is um, Chad. He's the artistic director of Insomniac Theater." She goes, "Oh, you're in theater." And go, "Yeah." She goes, "What mental illness do you have?" <laughs> Yeah. So um, I, I'm sure because you know a lot of artists, you know a lot of people in that space, and you and I have talked, you know, personally about you know problems of mental health and sure. and things like that. There's always highs, there's always lows. You never know what it is. Um, music as expression, right. okay, especially when you're dealing with, let's say, the lows sure. of things. Um, and, and only speak to what you're comfortable with yeah. on this. Um, do you find that when you're on the lower side of um, the swing that you fall heavier into music, or is it a sluggier? Is it harder to get uh, yeah. get into it? That's that's a really good, a really great question. I, th- I think um, for me, it's 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 when I'm really feeling depressed or, or low and I and I go I'm relatively manic sometimes but 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 for once I get in that funk um, and I tell my friends I'm, I'm in the I've got the nervosa and they all go okay we know we know we understand we understand though today's one of the days you know and I know that's that's not a medical term but um, when I'm feeling like that it's it's actually hard for me to engage in music sometimes right. be, because I, I I feel like um, I'm not participating with it in a way that I should be. I'm not doing enough or I'm not good enough or, you know I mean? Just that whole depressive sort of cloud messes up that music for me. And that's why I kind of like sometimes just going to the piano because I'm, that's not that. That's just me just, but what does this sound like? You know, just this kind of thing. When I'm on the opposite, when I'm on that sort of really upswing of feeling really good, Mm -hmm. um, I get a lot of work done. I mean, I get so yeah. much work done, and and I don't know if you work like this too, but I I, I work in spurts, and um, it's it's why sometimes I'll avoid 
sending emails for like weeks. I'll pretend like, I don't, I don't want to look at it. And then all of a sudden you'll get 45 emails from me at two in the morning, you know, or, or whatever. Um, but, but that's when I, I, I tend to engage the most. Now with all that going on, still have a job that I try to do. I just think sometimes I don't do it as well as I could. And other times I do it better than I should. You know, I don't know. It's, right. it's just, this is kind of weird. Thing. And all kind of piles together on there. I know, I know for me personally, um, when you have to be, when I have to be creative, and I'm you know, going through a low point in mm-hmm. things, I go more, lean more on the responsibility of the job rather than um, you know the creativity of it and the love of it. Because you know, right. as a person in a position of power, you have all these people counting on you. Yeah, you know, yeah. and they're looking at you from a position of, oh, well, this is the one that's going to tell us what to do. This is the one that's going right. to guide us through the path. Yeah. And you're just trying to get through the day sure. at that point. Sure. Yeah. And fake it till you make it. Yep. You know, kind of yep. thing. When when you're going through, you know, the highs on things, do you still feel that? Uh, attachment to the creativity that you're doing whenever you're in manic work mode or is it just you're just you have all these things that you feel like you've left behind and you're just trying to get caught up with everything because it is a cycle no matter yeah. no matter what yeah. we're in the highs and then we go down to the lows yeah. and then we go back into the highs for again. sure for um sure. And and I, I think we've discussed before this thing where we feel like we're letting people down if we're yeah, not on yeah, all the time. Every, every there's day. no way. There's right. no way to be on all the time. Right. Right. Um, yeah. With it, but is it something where would would you rather be you know always productive or be able to sink a bit and be more receptive to what you're feeling and be sure? You know, on yeah. Time? I I. I guess I just have to be the way I am, you know, yeah. and, 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 and for all of us, I think that's uh, really important for a long time and maybe even still battling this. I felt like I'm not doing it right. You know what I mean? I'm not. Yeah. And then I think recently I was like, no, this is, this is how I am. This is, yeah. you know, and, and so as soon as you kind of can embrace that, um, and I start to think, well, maybe I need some of those lows, which I guess could be dangerous, you know, to get yeah. some of the high, you know, I mean, just momentum in general, right. you know. Um, but but I think, you know, for me, I, I, you know, sometimes I just I feel like I, just, I need to not do something today. You know, I don't know. Right. I, and 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 then and then tomorrow I'll, I'll do some more stuff. Maybe right. you know, we'll, I'll take it and and trying to be okay with that. And again, like you said. Um, you know, you run your own business and you saw these responsibilities and stuff that have to get done. So you, you, you get those done, you slug through and we all do that. Everyone mm-hmm. does the best they can, you know, and, and that's, and actually it's like me dealing with some of my own stuff that helped me learn to be a lot more empathetic with the musicians mm-hmm. and, and artists that I work with, because uh, I know a lot of connectors that aren't empathetic. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not, they, they're not, which is crazy because all we do is empathy. I mean, it's all, right. <laughs> all we're doing is taking someone else's feelings from two or 300 years ago or from yesterday for playing something new. And then we're trying to read that and show it mm-hmm. to other people. So if you can't find empathy uh, or s- at least sympathy, then like something's wrong. I, I, I feel like right. you're not effective, you know? So, and I find it typically just comes down to honesty with yourself and the people that yeah. you're working with. And yeah. I know the only, re- only way I was able to get through a couple of shows, especially when I was on a downsize is one, Especially on like musicals where we were working together, I could just be there. Would be days where I'm just like, "Well, it's yours now, you know, for the yeah. night. We're working yeah. on music tonight because yeah. I'm going to go home and cry." Yeah. Um, but 
it's also one of those things where, you know, you just be honest with people. You go, hey, guys, 100%. I'm not having the best day today. You know, and I think as long as you're honest with people whenever you're doing that, especially in a position of power, yeah. they'll respect that more, and they'll give you a little more patience, yeah, you know, maybe than they ordinarily would. Hundred yeah. percent, and I think I think I mean with mental health and in, in general, you know, the obviously the obvious stigma of talking about everything, we we don't often want to do that, right? We don't mm-hmm. want to say, hey, I'm 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 feeling a little bit anxiety today, yeah. you know. Uh, for instance, uh, a few weeks ago, Larry, you know, Larry and Robin, Robin and the mm-hmm. Giant, Larry was playing the accordion and he tried to get me to do the chicken dance in front of about 40 people. Mm-hmm. And I said, Larry, and I, I was like, I don't, I, I can't. And he's like, no, no, come on, everyone does a chicken dance. And I looked at him with this look in my eyes. I said, Larry, I'm freaking the fuck out right now. <laughs> like, I can't, like, and he's like, and the, the accordion goes like that. It was so funny. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Man. I was like, no, it's okay. And then I just had to walk away. Yeah. But anyways, but like, I think that's a, a silly story. But the, the idea is like, be just trying to find ways to be able to tell people, you know, I'm not having a great day. And, and there's another side of that coin too. And this is something I've also uh, learned and Pam's helped me with a lot. Do that, be honest with yourself, but also I try and I'm trying to find ways to get better. You know, I mean, you know what I mean. It's not just like, sorry, I'm having a bad day. Leave me alone. I'm not going to ever do anything. It, right. I, I've got to also try. Well, okay, can I read a book or something that might mm-hmm. help me with this? Or is there a go plunk some keys on the piano? Yeah, is there a yeah. podcast or like you know? I, I don't want to. I, I want to try to not waller too much in that feeling. Um, and I think it's that. You know, just anytime you see someone's like, "Hey, I'm not great at this. I'm working on it." Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. If they're just like, I'm not great at it. Then, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, which is hard. Really hard. It is. And, but, you know, and once again, it comes down to honesty with yourself and others. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why people do gravitate toward music on things because music is, if nothing else, honest. I mean, yeah. it's really hard to be deceptive with music. You, right. can, you can play around with things. So at the end of the day, a note is a note. Yeah. Then you're hearing what you're hearing. Yeah. You know, for sure. There. So, and that's it for Maestro Matt Wardell. Thank you to everybody for joining us on the Locala podcast. Once again, I'm Chad Taylor. We've been chatting with Matt Wardell. Uh, we'll have the link to the Riley Arts Center in the description as well as our website, www.localamag.com, where you can read his story and more. Thank you again for joining us here on Locala, where we focus on connections through stories. Thank you to Kismet Creative Co. for sponsoring today's podcast. You can learn more about them at www.kismetcreativeco.com. You can find their link and more in the description box. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Locala podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead, like, share, and download. Your support is truly appreciated.